everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. With me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. Yes, we say friends today because joining us again, I believe this is his third time on the show, Um, a good friend and prolific author. We've coined him as the uh, Renaissance man in medieval armor, and then he proceeded to give us a little history lesson on the Renaissance (laughs) and how we might be using that term incorrectly, and we love him for that. We have Christian Cameron on the show. Christian, welcome back. We're so happy to have you today. Charles and Dylan, I am so happy to be here. You may know, you know, Christian is such a prolific author that he has to have two names. Uh, You may know him as Miles Cameron, the author of many great sci-fi and fantasy series. Um, His latest book, Against All Gods, will be available on June 23rd. And so we're here to hype up that release. And uh, Christian, do you maybe want to give a few words about Against All Gods, get people excited? Sure. Uh, So it's it's a little different from the from my usual offering, because it is not set in a fantasy Middle Ages, it's set in a fantasy Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not Greek mythology, despite what it says on Amazon. It is completely made up <laughs> and completely kind of scary. And the shout line is something like uh, a thousand years ago, good and evil fought for the possession of this world, and evil won. The gods are terrible. <laughs> and uh, so your usual ragtag band of, uh, of heroes has to overthrow the gods. It's just not your usual ragtag band of heroes. It includes like philosophical pacifists and uh, it's, it's a different take. And if I may, it's also a little bit allegorical maybe about some aspects of capitalism and some other things that are bad. I, I don't mean the capitalism is bad, but some aspects. <laughs> I see we're getting some yeah. capital lecture. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Expect nothing less from you, Christian. Taking, uh, taking some shots at capitalism within the first uh, like five minutes of this one. So we're ready. We're ready to rock over here. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Uh, I hear we're writing a fantasy novel today. That is correct. You know, Christian, yeah. what is Against All Gods book number 44 in your library now? Wow. Charles, you rock. <laughs> like that is correct. Uh, there we go. What can I say? I just, when you told me you had written 43 books when we were talking about Artifact Space last time, which you guys should definitely check out. Great sci-fi book. But I was like, 43? And I think I've still been recovering from that. So 44 now, which is an incredible feat. And, you know, even then, uh, on top of that, you release regular videos over on Twitter under Writing Fighting, which is a a show of yours that is just kind of taken off and just become part of your identity on social media and where you 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 bring all of your swords and weapons and armor and you go through a lot of classic fighting moves and battle stances and makes people rethink like what we've seen on tv versus what may be more historically accurate and um it's absolutely fascinating charles you say that and maybe i am too much of a stickler for historical accuracy but really i just want fantasy writers to go like oh that's how that works because Mm -hmm. i'm really into this but i do not expect all my fellow fantasy writers to like there's so many different things that it would be great to know before you sit down to write a fantasy novel right 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm actually really trying to give back because as you guys know, it's a pretty nice community and it's yeah. a pretty supportive yes. community and lots of people have been super supportive to me. And I'm really not trying to like go on about how great I am. I'm really just trying to say like, so if you're gonna write a sword and shield scene, this would be a cool way to kill somebody. And I nothing delights me more than when somebody you've probably heard of writes back and goes like, I am using that thing you did today for my protagonist in my work in progress. And I'm like, see, you have totally validated my life. That is that is all I have. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway. And I and I remember once you were talking about all the different uses of a sword beyond just stabbing somebody and how it was used as a tool. And I was like, oh, like I could definitely see a character using it to like dig out a trench or, you know, like use it as a prop or use it to open something. Like it, it was fascinating to see all the different ways like swords world's were worst shovel, used. world's worst machete, <laughs> uh, world's worst barbecue implement. But it will do all three of those things. <laughs> In a pinch, it works, right? Yep. So we're hoping how many to- barbecues <laughs> have you uh, <laughs> have you conducted with a sword, Christian? Well, I never have, but I'll say on the one hand that Duma in the Three Musketeers has somebody roasting a goose on his rapier, uh, <laughs> at, which is pretty believable. And then uh, a survey of actual like edged weapons used in the American Revolution by uh, the two guys who wrote a book on it. They basically felt that 50% of them had been used as cooking implements. Because if you think about yeah. it, you cook every day. If you're really unlucky, you fight twice a year. <laughs> That's true. That's fair. Yeah. Just, you got to um, put those cool. things to use. And, and you're carrying, and this is something I try and bring out when I write, you're carrying this three or four pound piece of iron on your hip for like days in the woods, you know, and like, what's it for? <laughs> Aragorn. Think of the Lord of the Rings. Think of your bog standard. It's not bog standard, but think of like, your basic fantasy trope, like rangers. Hmm. What's the sword for? Like, <laughs> How often do you expect to be in combat, even in Middle Earth? How many days of combat do you think that you put in? And how come Aragorn doesn't have like a small hand axe to chop firewood? Because he does <laughs> chop firewood throughout the several times while he's leading the hobbits. And I'm like, did he do that with his sword? How did he, what did he do that with? maybe he's got one of those hobbits carrying it in his pack or a good old bill lugging it along <laughs> old bill, exactly definitely <laughs> bill and that's why i made i made that writing fighting about the stayax the anglo-saxon sort of sword knife because it really is a great tool mm. it's really just a farmer's knife it's not really a weapon it's quite glorified by a certain sort of viking reenactor world but it's really just a big farm knife and as recently as my own youth looking at Amish farmers, they would have these giant knives that they'd use like to clean horses, hooves, and a lot of other not very dashing and romantic things. And I'd go like, oh, yeah, there it is, the big knife. You can't go wrong with a nice knife for sure. The utility. You can never have too many knives, I've heard. (laughs) It makes a good pry bar, you know, like until you break it and you're sad, especially (laughs) if it was a magic knife. Ooh, that would be sad. 
Man, well, we are looking to harness all of this knowledge today because we are bringing back a series, Friends Creating Fantasy is here. We are going mm. to improvise a story, and who better to do it with than an author as prolific as Christian Cameron? So here's how it works super quickly. We're going to start off by generating a book title, completely random, and then a protagonist and an antagonist. And from there, the three of us are going to work together to create like a treatment of a story, you know, just, just see how far we can an go outline, verbal yeah, outline. outline. Yeah, an outline. Yeah. And, and, and an outline, right? Because we need to sell this to a publisher. Ah, so see. you need to be able to describe <laughs> the whole book in eight words. Okay, so we can, we, we can give that a try. You I have think some practice on, uh, on selling books to publishers <laughs> over there, Christian. So we're going to rely on you to give that elevator pitch, okay. I think. Good. And if, yeah. we, you know, if we shop it around, we shop it around. That's okay. But <laughs> we'll definitely get that shout line today. So yeah. I, I have help. And, oh, oh we got a, a fourth member of the podcast. What's, what's your cat's name, Christian? Uh, Maurizio. 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 Maurizio, uh, if you, uh, anyway, it's a, it, it is a fantasy reference. There's uh, Maurizio and the dancing mice. <laughs> oh. So we have four minds today. I'm feeling pretty good about this. Um, you know, Dylan and I each have the list of we just common fantasy book title nouns, things like storm, blade, shadow, crow, death, you know, we, we and we have a huge list here. So I'm going to generate one of the words and Dylan's going to generate the other and then we'll see if we can make a, a title out of it. So yeah. Dylan, if you wouldn't mind going ahead and, and, and picking a word. All right. Beep, boop, beep. Oh, the generator has chosen a classic here, guys. It's crow. Oh, crow. Crow. That's... Well, the one I have generated, beep, boop, beep, is um, a very, you know, Christian Cameron appropriate phrase. We have knight, like knight in shining armor. Oh, he's already got the red knight out there. So <laughs> now we need the sequel. Okay, <laughs> well, we already got that too. But I, I hit my random generator and my contribution is the word duh. <laughs> okay so we're so close guys <laughs> the crow so we knight, could go the, the crow, crow knight <laughs> i feel like we should do that in honor of the red knight right just we've got christian slash miles cameron here so why and not i'm going to take this opportunity to do a giant reveal and say there are probably going to be more red knight books i've actually just with my publisher so I, I'm willing to have this go. Here we go. The crow knight. <laughs> bring in the crow knight, everybody. A, a breaking story right now. On we need a protagonist fantasy. and an antagonist. We sure okay. do. So go. here's how this works. We decided to, the way we generate characters is we have roles like princess, prince, warrior, barbarian, and those are what Dylan's going to generate. And then I have like a trope type to associate them with them, like anti-hero, chosen one, secret heir. So you could have like a, a chosen one barbarian character as your protagonist. Don't we need alignment dice? <laughs> it is we very can, Dungeons and Dragons. I, we can add alignment, I think, but we'll random. We don't have that plugged into the generator, or we're not that sophisticated. But we can add alignment for sure. See, this is why we yeah. need an author in the mix. We've never had, you know, this kind of attention brought to the generator before. So it, it, it's always learning. This is exactly how I write books. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's good to yeah. hear then. We're in the right place. So Dylan, you're totally you on to... the right. You're, you've got this. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, go, so go. this okay. is our protagonist. Dylan, tell us more about who our protagonist is. Our protagonist is beep boop beep. Oh, I swear. Like, I, I will screenshot this. It is a night. I, oh. I'm screenshotting it just so you can all see that this came up. I, this you know, sometimes the generator together magically. Yeah. Okay. But this is an interesting twist because my, you know, trope is corrupt. A corrupt, oh, that's great. corrupt night. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So our protagonist is corrupt, which is a little bit of a, like a subversion of the genre here. And now let's go ahead and get our antagonist. This could be anything now, Dylan, if you wouldn't mind uh, picking what we're working with okay. here. We're going to go beep, boop, beep. A prince. The antagonist is a prince. Okay. And then let's see who I have here. I have a loyal sidekick. <laughs> That's our antagonist. I don't know how this is going to work. Um, a side I've got kick. it all. I, I'm I'm ready. You ready? I've got Christian already book. wrote this book just in the <laughs> just in the time we're taking there. He's literally typed up a hundred thousand. I'm still books. processing what that even means, and he's written the book. <laughs> all right, Christian, let's hear it. Well, I mean, I, I just want to bounce some ideas around. So okay, I really like the corrupt knight, and mm -hmm. look, we've got the title, the crow knight, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And here's a here's a big problem with knights. Knights are professional users of violence. Mm -hmm. And the way knights go wrong is when instead of having ethics, they just believe that might makes right. We've all seen this movie, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and so I feel like our crow knight, who I suspect needs a name, but I, you know, maybe yeah. you have we random generators. Nope. We're, at, we're done uh, generating stuff. Now it's all we want to put into it from here. Well, our knight, I think, has at the opening of the book, pretty much already gone too far, but we're going to lure the reader mm -hmm. because he's okay. the protagonist. We're mm -hmm. going to lure the reader for a little while in thinking this is okay because a lot of readers like a good violence scene and mm -hmm. the knight, he wins his fights. He's very good. And in mm -hmm. fact, and this is, this is an anti-trope that I enjoy. You can make a character who's so good at fighting that you don't really bother to write the fight scenes you let the reader take for granted that unless something extraordinary happens, he's going to win all his fights. And if you doubt me, I offer you The Witcher. We all know The yeah. Witcher is going to win any combat he comes across. So the tension is created by scenes that aren't about combat, right? And I think mm. that's where we're going with this book. And I love the fact that his loyal sidekick, his squire, who has stuck with him for thick and through thick and thin, is going to have it up to here when he does something really wrong, something immoral, something unethical. Maybe he kills somebody he could have captured and it's gonna be gut-wrenching and it's gonna happen early. And yeah. his, his squire, who you're just gonna take for granted as the reader, because squires, they're loyal, they're always loyal, is gonna leave him. And the prince is gonna try and hunt him down as an outlaw and break his knighthood take his knighthood away and then he's going to have to start from zero maybe she i'm not i'm not i'm not absolutely yeah. wedded to gender mm -hmm. but the way i see it we're going to go to the bottom 
in the first quarter of the novel, and then our protagonist is going to have to rebuild themselves. That's interesting. So, so you, we're going to split up the loyal sidekick and the prince into two separate antagonists. Oh, here, I'm sorry. Right? Were they supposed that, to be one? Well, I mean, there really are no rules. <laughs> this is our made Wait, up thing. What do you thing. mean we're going to split so, them up, Dylan? Because he has a squire that's the loyal sidekick to the knight right. and separately a prince, right? That's how you're imagining this. You Christian. mean physically so separate we can, them? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Into two separate characters, both antagonists. Which we can definitely do. I mean, there's no there's no rules really. This is our made up game, so we gotta find a way. I, oh, I mean, it sounds they, like yeah. Go oh, on. Sorry, I don't mean to dominate this, but they could be one. Please person. dominate this. They could be <laughs> one person if, for instance, he was such a great fighter that he was the young prince's arms instructor before mm. he went bad, and the prince has to but see oh, this is a complicated book but what's interesting <laughs> to me is that the prince by being a loyal sidekick somehow becomes an antagonist i think there's something interesting to that because we have a corrupt knight who maybe did something irredeemable and now the prince who's just from being at this guy's side and being loyal and having this idea of him of being good that he discovers to not be good and by the nature of trying to change him or whatever, seek vengeance or something makes him an antagonist in all of this. There, there's something there, I think. We can I, 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 it's, it's not only is there something there, I think that's not only really good, mm -hmm. but like, I know that we're supposed to be super lighthearted, but I feel like you could write a really good book mm -hmm. about the, so there's gonna be a terrible moment of to the crow knight of betrayal right? Mm -hmm. When the yeah. sidekick prince turns on him and probably arrests him, because he's a prince and the knight's only a knight. Right. But mm -hmm. then what might be fascinating, just an idea, is that as the crow knight, because he or she is the protagonist, mm -hmm. begins clawing up from, you know, there's realization, there's acceptance of failure and having committed evil. So what's happening to the antagonist that keeps that person as the antagonist. And the cool thing would be that as the Crow Knight is rising, the prince is, for instance, discovering that ruling has a lot of shades of gray and starts like doing the dirty so that we can have a confrontation at the end where in effect the, I mean, I am simplifying, but in effect the Crow Knight has to say to the once uh, loyal sidekick prince like you saved me and now you've become this person mm. Mm. so it's interesting we've got to find a way we're kind of towing this line of like the difference between a hero and a protagonist here and also like a, a villain and an antagonist right if we've got a corrupt knight is that person then like pretty much even though they're a protagonist are they a, a villain you think Christian, or well, it sounds like, like it's going, going further toward villain, arc is what we're talking or going about. through redemption. So I'm really fascinated by redemption at the moment. Gotta say, okay. like, and I'm sticking you with my fascination because you invited me. Yes, of even though yes. I'm a half hour late, you invited me. So uh, <laughs> they don't know that, Christian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the world out there, right? Um, and the the internet and media world. One of the <laughs> things I've noticed is that we spend a lot of time 
sort of tracking people for things that they've done and said, and by the way, I'm completely supportive. A lot of people need to be outed for things they've done and said. Mm. But then it makes me wonder, maybe just because I'm a church-going person, what about redemption? What about when people realize they have done the wrong thing? And then what do we do with those people? And so, and it is because you use the word protagonist, but mm. also because I'm such a medieval nutter that if you were to switch the, around and go like, oh no, we're going with the prince basically as the hero, because obviously the crow knight is bad. Mm-hmm. I go like, the prince can reach out with money, assassins, whatever he wants, mm-hmm. and get rid of a knight. Knights, just not that powerful. Prince, very powerful, has the power of the nation state, tax base. It's not going to be a fair fight. And when it's not a fair fight in fantasy, that means that usually we want to cheer for the underdog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I want to do the redemption arc. Uh, that's it. I like that. And I kind of think what I like about, I kind of picture the knight being a little older and I picture the prince being a bit younger and this idea of a prince, like maybe they're like kind of at the beginning of this, they just recently got matched up and the prince is like, this is my hero. This guy's like a legend. Mm. Um, And then it's kind of like a meet your heroes thing where you figure out that there's some shadiness going on and the prince is just like heartbroken at that maybe, or kind of like, grown up really way too fast in those moments learning that this person they idolized and are now getting to work with is is someone who's got this corrupt nature about them but then the knights tries to do good and then somehow the prince starts to fall from that and like you said there's all the nitty-grittiness of politics and then the fact that he's a prince gives him actual some real threat over the knight too that he may not have had otherwise just to some like you know 16 13 year old kid so I think the dynamic what? does well. Yeah, kind of along lines of what, yeah, <laughs> what Christian was saying earlier about the the prince realizing these shades of of gray. I'm thinking, what if the way that the prince takes the lessons that he's learning from the knight who's corrupt at the beginning, like the prince starts going way too Machiavellian with them. And it's almost like the prince going that far that helps the crow knight realize the error of uh, oh, their that's ways. That's very good. Right? That's very good. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, how we get that redemption I, going. It's like, I, oh, this is taking to its rifle end with that much power. That's what happens. Because the knights never had the power to actually do these things at the level the prince is going to be. Right. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's spicy. So, honestly, this is a lovely idea. And now we just need to populate it with some other characters. Okay. Okay. So, what, what, like, Christian, well, if you're. Because you've got me, I never write a book without a romance arc. Okay. Uh, And, I recognize, I've actually gotten some serious hate mail on this subject, and I recognize that there are people who read fantasy who don't like all that, but I have to say that I spent a great deal of my youth chasing various people of various genders for various reasons, and um, uh, that, that was a big part of life, and when I read about the Middle Ages or the Bronze Age or the Classical Age, um, you know, sex, the pursuit of sex, meeting, like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And I always think like, once in a while, I'll read a fantasy novel and I'll go, really? All this guy wants is revenge? That's like all he does for 600 pages? He just wants revenge? He never wakes up on a Thursday morning and goes like, I need a beer. Wow, that girl is 
like it's just revenge anyway um uh so i feel like it would be fun if we had some other characters and it seems to me i like i have a character idea that i uh now i'm giving away all my secrets but i like to have a balance point and the balance point is the person that the plot arc teeters on and that person often isn't as important as i'm making that person sound but it's the way in which the two characters interrelate without having to write those very painful scenes that are like hollywood movie confrontations where there's a lot of explication while the the while iron man and iron man's hero explain to each other why they hate each other and you go like Mm -hmm. Really? Why don't you two just hit each other? <laughs> so I like to have a balance point character that each, that the antagonist and protagonist both talk to. Mm. And I don't know who that is. I'm just tossing it out there. There's so someone... is it one person that they both talk to or is it they each have their own person? You can do that either way. Mm. My balance point is usually one person that both of them talk to. Okay. Um, well, if we really want to get some hate mail here, Christian... We could go love triangle, and that <laughs> that third person is the person that they both talk to. I know people hate love triangles, so I, I don't know if we want to go there. But you know, that could be very satisfying, especially if. So I'm I'm going with what I've heard so far. I really like Charles' idea that the fallen knight is older. So let's play a, a historical reality that won't be popular in fantasy and say that before the fall, the knight is being granted a a wife because, sorry, but that's how it often works, probably by the prince. But let's say it never actually comes off. They meet, it's promised, and then it's taken away because the crow knight is going to fall, right? It's going to be unknighted or something. We haven't really settled that. Mm -hmm. But how about if the prince decides he wants, I'm assuming these two are male. Like we could assume they were both female. I'm staying, I'm staying very standard 1980s here. Like I, mm. I, I can go either way. And as far as I'm concerned, everybody involved could be same sex because I, I am really trying to move away from standards. But if we're staying on standards, I would say, uh, how about a young woman who all her life has just been a prize? She's mm-hmm. going to be handed to this killer who's older than her. But how about if the prince decides he wants her and the young woman has seen something in this older killer, not that she necessarily likes, but that means that throughout the book, she is hesitant about the prince and lines of communication remain open and a lot of hate can be generated this way too. Jealousy, adversity, adversity. And one of the things I find is often excellent in a book is to make characters blind. Because if characters are constantly rational, the reader's like, well, why don't they just talk it out? Why do they fight? And conflict is, I find, fairly essential. So that's one way to do balance point. But balance point could also be like the knight's brother who's at court and is a loyal retainer and Mm -hmm. wants to protect his brother while at the same time is pretty loyal to the prince 
until the print starts getting dark. And, you know, like there, there are a lot of ways to do balance print. It's just a way of avoiding all those pages of explication. You guys know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, right. I like that. We could do, we could definitely add the love angle to that. I'm also wondering if we could come up with just like, a character who just by describing them is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like kind of like you go the brother angle, if he's like a courtesan or maybe he's a mer like a really specific kind of merchant or maybe he's a general or, you know, some kind of some kind of unusual thing that somehow they're both related to might bring some might bring something to this story. I'm not sure though. I mean, it could be the king or the queen or a general too, because that's someone a knight and a prince would both talk to all the time. I'm not sure. Um, somehow, I mean, to pair a prince with a knight seems like a unusual thing to do. So there's got to be some sort of reason to have a, a prince be like almost a steward to a knight, right? The, the greatest knight of the Middle Ages, William Marshall, was, uh, you know, appointed to be Richard the Lionhearted's uh, basically like master and mm -hmm. and towed him around for i think two years um okay. uh and i admit i'm kind of thinking about that because william marshall was the real life lancelot he was like the greatest knight of the middle ages and then richard the lionhearted was no slouch himself and they um they ended up fighting almost to the death uh in a sort of duel uh because uh, william marshall remained loyal to uh Lionheart's father instead of like they mm -hmm. had a huge falling out and then they had to reconcile and the reconciliation took years and anyway I, I'm just saying there's there's a real model there okay and there are precedent. reasons why a prince could be in effect a loyal retainer okay. and then you know one of the things that I've really started writing a lot about and the reason there's pacifists in against all gods like real pacifists is like violence it's really not that great. We all get used to it in fantasy. Epic fantasy is just laced with violence. Mm -hmm. But I guess I think we're talking about a fairly quality book here uh, with some, some hard character writing. Mm -hmm. And I think taking a starry-eyed young man who thinks that he's going to grow up to be a great knight as well as a prince, mm -hmm. and then watching his beloved... Uh, arms instructor just kill some really fairly innocent young person because that is how the knight perceives his duty. Mm -hmm. And I already, the moment you guys said the pro knight, I have this picture <laughs> because it was said of a particular Italian knight that he had killed more people than the plague. And that wasn't meant as a compliment. And I immediately thought like they call him the crow knight because they say that crows follow him wherever he goes. Ooh. And, yeah. and that's a pretty dark repute, right? That's not like really a compliment. And seeing his hero just, because the, the truth that I always show in what, try and show in writing fighting is that when the real killer faces you, he just kills you. It's not even fun. It's just like saying, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, and one of those fights where the prince is like, couldn't you have like wounded him or kicked him in the knee? Mm -hmm. And the, the Crow Knight says like, that's a waste of energy and it, it endangers me. I just killed him. 
And yeah. the prince is kind of like, that is the most, that guy is dead. Like, think about how we all feel. And I, 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 I feel this way. I hope you feel this way. Like, I don't like to kill a squirrel. Right. Here I am doing right yeah. and fighting. Like, <laughs> I don't like killing animals. And when this notorious killer right here, <laughs> Maurizio, let, let me take the name right. Maurizio and and his uh, and his sister, they are hardened killers. They'll just kill anything that comes under their blood. And Give you some rats every once in a while as a present. My, my daughter and I are like, oh, we should make them wear collars. Oh, anyway, I, I'm being too long winded. I'm just saying, like, I think you can have a great scene of utter revulsion at this sure. violence. Yeah, and I'm, yet have the prince later start using like assassins and poisons and like mm. he doesn't want to face up to the deed himself but he's yeah. decided it needs to be done yeah. i'm just talking this out no i think that's right. great i love this idea of the prince when he's first finds out that he's going to like be paired with this rock star of a knight and that he has the potential like you said to be a great knight and a prince so he's all optimism. And then that phrase, crows follow him wherever he goes. He uses that to like get pumped up and he's telling everyone that like he's proud of it and he thinks it's super cool. And then he sees bloodshed for the first time. And it's like, oh, wait, this might not be as cool as I thought, you know? And then he's kind of getting disenchanted by the whole thing. Uh, I think that's, I think that's great. And then, like you said, he becomes a villain. And instead of you know, like, what would he do? Someone who's kind of, kind of, takes offense to all this direct violence like resulting to us assassinations and poisons it's like hypocritical and i think he needs to kind of see that for himself too it's like well you're doing the same thing and somehow they kind of collide in that way it's a really interesting it's a really interesting conflict yeah yeah i, I so. think i think we got a good one here and i want to go back to my balance point here. Mm -hmm. I, I love the love triangle so i'm not sacrificing that but the brother as a merchant, and maybe as somebody who is like important at court because he's a treasurer or he does money, so that he's like in on how the prince is going with his mm -hmm. clandestine use of violence. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe increasingly disgusted, or maybe it's just really expensive. And also, um, I love playing with social aspects, as you guys know. I love playing with social class because most of us yeah. North Americans, we don't have to deal with that crap, but it is an authentic way to, um, to deal with some real world issues. We, today we have racism instead of heavy social class, mm -hmm. but I think that having the Crow Knight and his brother not be from the noble class uh, gives us some real traction in some different ways. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Anyway, I'm excited, man. Uh, when do we start writing? And, like, how are we going to divide this up? Are each of us going to write a chapter? Or... <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I, I think we need that shout line, and then we can put a little treatment together. Then we start shopping it around, knocking all the doors of all these publishers. Yeah. Something I, I've been thinking about, though, I'll, I'll leave it to Christian to do something better with this than I could think of. But 
you know, the crows following him wherever he goes, you know, what a group of crows is called is is a murder. murder. So yeah. there's something you could do a little bit poetic, I think, with like murder follows him wherever he goes. And that's why they call him the crow knight. I, I don't know. I'm not quite there yet with it, but. No, but you something. something there. And, and also, uh, do you guys know the song? I'm being very Canadian here. The Witch of the Westmere Land. No. no. Uh, it's based on a poem. I think it's called Twa Corby's. It's a uh, Scottish for two crows. And these two crows are having a discussion about how uh, basically how this young knight is dead and they're going to eat his eyes. It's really a great song. Uh, we'll check it Dan out. Rogers, Canada, check it out. But there's so much you could do with crows. And I do like the crow murder tie-in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the it, lyrics of the song right now. Okay, I'm with you. And there's talks about a knight and stuff too nice um so i i'm gonna put a question to you guys because i've done all the talking so far i feel like i'm doing too much lifting so what do you guys like best in a fantasy novel and i think we're in epic fantasy here i think we are mm. so when you're reading what is it that just makes you go like oh i really love this well, for, for me, it's always been complex and morally gray characters, which I feel, so we, we love Joe Abercrombie over here. So that's, uh, that's a big one. I think that if you can find a way to make it character focused while still giving us those epic moments, it, it compounds everything. And I, I just love the complication. And I think, I do think this lends itself really well to it just by what the the generator has given us where our antagonist is a loyal sidekick and our, our protagonist is corrupt. So I think this has a lot of the pieces that I'd be personally looking for in epic fantasy. That's well said, Dylan. I agree. Characterization is a priority for sure. Um, the other one for me that I love is like a good development of a, of a theme. So whatever that theme is, just like if we're able to explored in, in many different ways some of my favorite authors do that where they just take this one idea whether it's like innocence or you know growing up or depression or artistic integrity whatever it is and just kind of exploring that in in depth um, and kind of focusing in on that I, I know a lot of epic fiction likes to be like here's my whole world and all these different factions and who's loyal to who and who fights who, but it's like, yeah, but what is this about? What, what's the theme? So between characterization and theme, I think those are the two things that really between the two of us. So, praise I think I we've got Dylan's characterization. Mm -hmm. I think we do. I think, uh, yeah. although Dylan, you just gave me another idea, but I'm going to hold on to it for a moment. <laughs> but what's our theme? That's just a good, good question. question. It's like, so there's something with like this, this idea we're getting at that it's almost, it's not as bad when the knight is doing these things at a like lower level, or at least it seems not as bad. Uh, but when you take it to this like prince level mass murder, rather than just like one guy in the field, um, you realize how bad something is. It's almost like when you think of like how, on individual level, it seems unimportant to let's say vote, right? Or to go vegetarian or whatever, you know? Oh, like something that you know, if everyone did this one thing, it'd be 
actually make a huge difference, but you as an individual feel like you don't make much of a difference. You know, like how many animal lives would I save by going vegetarian? Seems like uh, it's, it's a drop in a barrel, but a bunch of drops is how you fill up a barrel. So it's like something along the lines of this night realizing like he's got to change his ways. Like if you, you've got to play your own role, even though it seems like a small one, uh, something like that comes to mind. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that killing is murder. <laughs> Basically, I'm thinking there's something about violence here that we could say, you know, there's. Like yeah. And, but I, I, I think that's super fun. It's just that, and honest to God, I was talking to my, fabulous editor about a year ago about this. And it's not that, I mean, I do writing fighting. I love talking about fighting, but I have some severe moral reservations about honestly, the whole way we do fantasy and it's very violence-based. Mm. And so the moral thing for the Crow Knight to do, and by the way, both Christian Knights and Japanese Samurai did this a lot is to turn his back on violence and become a monk. That is mm. a cross-cultural reaction to a life of violence. And even in my own life, one of my very favorite people, I won't name names, uh, multiple Silver Star winner, US Marine, is now a pacifist and lectures on pacifism. Like, wow. And that's a fascinating thing. And I'm just, mm. just going to this at you. So as the prince spirals down, and the Crow Knight becomes a better person, maybe helped by the love interest in the love triangle, the obvious fantasy trope is for there to be a final fight scene where the Crow Knight has to kill the prince to save the kingdom. But we're not going to go there. We're going to offer that choice and have him mm. refuse it and say, you people need to find a way to fix this without any more killing. And I think that that would be, could be both dark and light and complicated. And, and the, the problem is making it satisfying, right? Like war porn, as I call it, and I write some war porn, so like I'm, I'm picking on myself. <laughs> it's very satisfying because it gives you black and white endings. It gives mm -hmm. you a, a, a simple climax. Mm -hmm. But if we're really talking about how murder is bad, we need to think of a way to have a climax and the whole like literary idea of climax that is essential in fantasy. We all like, we all like a boss fight. We all like a confrontation, but hey, how are we gonna get this? How are we gonna get the reader to the end without having it be a sword fight? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys don't wanna go the pacifist route. But I've been thinking about this a lot. No, so I think it's good. I like, I like this theme of like yeah. when to turn your back on violence, right? Like, like where does the idolization and understanding and respect of violence go too far? And when do you turn it back? And looking at that through the role of a knight, and then also not just as a knight, but as like a, um, a big brother kind of too. It's like, how do you balance like I think him balancing his relationship with the prince as this like this idolized figure and then as how everyone sees him as a killing machine and then how do you like at what point do you turn your back on that and can you turn your back on that you know I think is the question I, and 
yeah, I think Dylan, do you have anything to how we get to a head with that? <laughs> well, somewhat I was thinking about when Christian was talking about this pacifism from the night. I'm like, is there a way where the night can almost like solve these big problems by a like pacifist moment where he sacrifices himself, like almost lets himself like a martyr moment, like lets himself actually like be killed or whatever. And that is the thing that saves everyone. So it's like the complete opposite of what he was doing at the beginning, which is like unethical stuff in order to survive. Somehow he does something ethical in order to like help the greater good at the end, but he dies in the process. So it's like, uh, that's, a, that's how we got our character growth. I don't know how he gets there. It's glorify violence like, though. That's the whole thing about it. Like, I'm down for yeah. that. Maybe if like the prince had to kill him by his own hand yeah. and the prince that's is what very I was thinking. against that, you know, like he's usually assassins and poison kind of guy. Maybe um, if you leave the love interest, you know, abandoned because you sacrificed yourself, there's something there too. That's interesting. Hmm. So I'm going to tell you what I thought of five minutes ago while, while Dylan was throwing out ideas. Mm. My favorite fantasy movie of all time, Princess Bride. I, uh, I just knew you were going to say that. For some and, yeah. you know, it's a curiously violent, nonviolent movie. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it's, it's pretty lighthearted, but it has something to offer us at the end because the protagonist is lying on a bed, unable to fight. But he convinces the prince that he's in enormous danger. And of course, the prince is a coward. And I'm not sure we want our, our antagonist prince to be a coward. But I think that presenting, and I also like fooling the reader. I like offering the reader the expected norm and then defying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to me that we can get somewhere by setting the reader up to believe, and I'm sort of picking a little from each of you, that we're going to have a climactic fight scene or maybe a climactic sacrifice scene. Because I actually like, I I like both of those, but instead, I think we have to have written the entire book so that instead we have a climactic philosophical conversation. Now- That's interesting. I, I see yeah, the Cronite who's sitting in the dark when the prince finds him. And it takes time for the prince to realize that he's not even armed. He's not wearing armor. Mm. He doesn't have a sword. And like these things just keep having to be driven home while the reader maybe is going like, but he's going to fight him, right? Nobody's going to fight him. I don't know. It's it's very hard. I know because against all gods has one of these scenes to write a climactic, epic moment of pacifism, and that mm. is all about character. It's got to all be character driven because you're not going to have the the crutch of that violence. I sorry, I'm making this so serious. We could go a much lighter route. I apologize. <laughs> but you like I like the idea of epic pacifism, you know, like epic what is pacifism. epic pacifism? <laughs> it uh, 
I mean, that's going to come down to it's going to need really good dialogue. Like you said, it's going to need really good characterization. It's going to need to have really been built toward like this theme has to be well established where it feels like it's not what you're expecting, but it it's like it felt inevitable that and right that this is actually coming down to a conversation rather than some epic battle. And then if you wanted to play it this way, that could not be the end. What the prince could do is just have him murdered. Because we live in the, in the Donald Trump era, and we know that actually crappy leaders don't really care. And mm -hmm. that's why you have the epilogue where the brother, that balance point throughout the thing, who's been controlling the money, just sabotages the exchequer so that there's suddenly no money. And that's the end. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you killed my brother. I'm not a warrior. But ah. there are other ways to take you down. I don't know. Like, mm. the, the thing is, and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about being a writer because this is a great game. And frankly, <laughs> I should play it more often because it makes you more flexible. Like, right. uh, to, yeah. to think these through things through this fast. Mm -hmm. But... Where we are now, I would start writing and I wouldn't know the end hmm. because, hmm. because this is going to be a character-driven fantasy. Like Those are words that people toss out when they enjoyed a book, but it's not always true. But this hmm. has to be character-driven. Hmm. And that means yeah. that I would probably get 40 or 50% of the way in before I started to really see how the end is going to go. Hmm. All right. That, well, I think that's important that we keep open-minded about the ending. Um, yeah and that's and this has been a great exercise and i don't know dylan to me it's been such a different experience to get like to hear like christian you know lift back the curtain a little bit as we do this it's just so much more fun with a with an author on board <laughs> to, to be doing this um oh for sure one of the yeah. things i was thinking about is like what if instead of the prince being like an assassins and poisons guy what if like he basically becomes a crow knight junior and the crow knight watches the prince becoming this new knight that leaves murder in his wake and the end is the prince is like why won't you fight me like you made me this way you've done all this and now you won't even fight me and like you know and that's kind of that pacifism moment he's like no and i'm sorry i let you down i should have like we should have had more good times together or something and then you know crap might hit the fan from there it just could be another way to, to spin it maybe it's that's a little obi-wan anakin i don't know oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right true. like it i don't know yeah. a little bit but yeah similar right. <laughs> maybe we don't want to go that route then <laughs> you know while you were talking again i went like there's a there's a trope that is good it's a such a it's such a good trope that we just keep using it you know, the point at which the prince discovers the crow knight is his father. <laughs> yeah, there you oh, go. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting one. Uh, anyway, yeah. See, but there's so much meat on the table already mm. that where I am now is like, I want to know who are all the other characters? Because you guys know my worst habit. I'm sure I am mocked for this behind my back. Is I like to have a million characters. 
<laughs> I like to have a million characters because real life has a million characters. Like, right. I, mm -hmm. I met a young woman walking her dog today and we then proceeded to have a 35 minute conversation. Uh, I guess that's just how I live my life. Or maybe yeah, I was gonna say that is probably a little bit of the Christian, the Cameron flair coming in that <laughs> that turned yeah. into a thirty-five minute but, conversation. But the prince needs. I I think we've established the prince needs to have a court, and that court needs to have some people in it. And um, I think it would be fascinating because I really like writing older women. If the court had a, if the prince had a mother, and yeah. if his mother was politically powerful. Uh, had agency and was involved in shaping the prince. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking a little of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Sorry, I, I, mm -hmm. I have historical reference for everything. Uh, uh, kind of, that's lost on. If the prince uh, yeah, was fatherless the, also, because it would, that's it what would I was build thinking up the too. queen more and it would make this connection with the Crow Knight more intimate too. Yeah, yeah. that's that's where I was going with this. Yeah. Is like I got you. Uh, looking for a father figure and finding that the father figure yeah. fails you. Mm. So, so you're you're anti troping the the Luke Skywalker thing. Mm. Uh, that's I, I think that could be a good pay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I like that. Luke, I'm not your father. <laughs> exactly. Cut <laughs> <laughs> off, kid. I'm not your father. <laughs> yeah. You need a different father. <laughs> that's interesting. I like. So that. I'm going to ask you guys. Like at the resolution, we're sort of creeping around the resolution. And as I said, I wouldn't establish the resolution, but <clears throat> happy ending. Uh, they made a desert and called it peace ending or unhappy ending. I think bittersweet, like, is where I'm going. Because if we do get this martyr sacrifice moment that I, at least I'm kind of pushing for a little bit. Uh, and Christian, you were getting out with the idea of the knight gets killed and then the brother is the one who kind of uh, like is pissed about that and then has the prince lose power because of the, what is it, the coffers running dry. If we go that way, it's like the the world is saved or the kingdom is saved from the wrath of the prince, but our knight protagonist is, uh, is, is not so lucky. So I think that's like a, a bittersweet note. I always love those endings, bittersweet. We, you know what I mean by they made a desert and called it peace. You can no, end, I was lost well, on Well, that. it's like Hamlet. So in oh. fact, at the end, the kingdom could be in ruins because the brother's revenge cripples the prince's money mm. and they just get overrun by somebody else because like if we're doing a zillion shades of gray then saving the kingdom I, and this is something again i'm on i'm on my problems in fantasy like saving the kingdom why are we all nationalists like <laughs> is saving the kingdom good the prince doesn't sound like a winner and at some point you have to address if, if we've used a lot of medieval tropes right well medieval systems are incredibly oppressive so yeah. Like, do we really care? Do the peasants care at all if the kingdom is saved? Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, one kind of ending is basically no one wins, and and in the end, they're all dead. Or <laughs> they're going grimdark. Or you know, <laughs> just another <laughs> wave of violence that comes over <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> well, and this is sort mm. of the the like one of the questions about pacifism. Uh, and people asked a lot of questions about pacifism in the Middle Ages, too. Believe you me. Mm -hmm. There was a whole movement called the Peace of God movement where they, they tried to, like, actually set 
rules about war so that war wouldn't affect peasants so much. And basically kings and knights went, screw that, we'll fight whenever we want, you can't restrain us. You can imagine, they were the corporate leaders of their day. Hmm. All I'm trying to say is that one way to end it would be to say like, sadly, uh, our protagonist went the pacifist route and now there it, it, the castle's on fire. <laughs> there's always yeah. somebody else willing to go the low road. Yeah, and there's something with this idea of kind of like, if we do go completely grimdark with that ending for Charles's big theme about violence, it's like violence begets violence begets violence. Like, And rather than make a point about and pacifism, is the way to go. We just make a point about, and that much violence, once it gets rolling like that, there's no stopping it, even with that level of pacifism. Uh, so if you go grimdark, you you can really show like violence is bad. You just might not have the same chance to show pacifism is good. So again, uh, I, I sorry, I am talking too much and Charles has probably got his head in his hands at this point going, when no, do I get to talk? No, this is great, I, peace, keep going. But, I, I do love what I call the James Bond opener, where you mm. show your character at his best. And it's like the mission that works, the sword fight that's perfect, whatever. It's, it's a great way to introduce. And also because we have trained a generation of readers on Marvel movies and James Bond movies, everybody yeah. sort of, it's, it's just a good opening. Mm -hmm. So here's a little... I think it's a clever anti-trope. So you open with the Crow Knight, and I'm not sure exactly what happens in this scene, but he's he's got the prince. The prince is his sort of like brand new sidekick, uh, you know, trainee, whatever. We're gonna wait, there's details to be filled out here. And the Crow Knight is brilliant, probably kills a bunch of people. The prince is disgusted. And because the focus is going to be on violence and nonviolence. We move on from that scene without really asking any questions about who they just killed. Yeah. Until the end, right. when the sons, sisters, daughters, whatever, mm. because this is how violence works, maybe the Crow Knight thinks he's solved it. Maybe they've had a nice conversation. Or maybe the prince is killed, but in the end, the, those same people from scene one the survivors come back and burn it all flat and you get to watch the circle of violence complete. Uh, and that would be uh, good. I like it. That's good. That's good. It's a seemingly like heroic feat of violence turns out to be this, you know, doom in the end kind of thing. I like yeah. that. Like it, it's, it's like a throwaway fight scene against orcs, you know, and we know orcs are mm. bad and dumb and they're just there to be killed. Right. But Maybe not. They have Maybe orc they have families, orc hopes, and orc dreams. Yeah, <laughs> you just oh, take God. those all away. You know, it's like now this or the baby orc grows up without an orc father, and you know, who knows? What kind of dreams do orcs have? <laughs> what, what do they want to accomplish with their lives? Pillaging, food. There's a fabulous book uh, by a guy who wrote a lot of great novels, George MacDonald Fraser. Also did a bunch of um, screenplays, did The Three Musketeers with Michael York, but anyway, mm. but he wrote a nonfiction book called The Steel Bonnets about the Scottish borders in the 15th and 16th century. 
And it's all about how, like, if you leave one person from that other clan alive in your massacre, his mom dedicates her entire life to bringing him up to come find you and kill you 26 <laughs> years later. That's just, and it, 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 it goes on and on. And in his last chapter, remember, I, I used to teach counterterrorism. In his last, last chapter, he uses the Nixons and the Johnsons in 16th century Scotland as a sort of example to talk about Hamas and Israel in the modern mm -hmm. world. It's like, you kill one of ours, we kill one of yours. You kill three of ours, we kill nine of yours. You know, like, right. this is the cycle of violence. Yeah. Right. And I, I have been thinking of writing a fantasy novel along those lines where it seems heroic at first and then even the reader, even the grimdark reader begins to tire of it and go like, oh God, you know, like you left the one teenage girl alive and she's <laughs> going to come back and kill everyone in the end. Yeah. And that doesn't make her more heroic. No. So I, hmm. I feel like that could be very satisfying as a denouement, even though it's not a happy ending. So Christian, what do you think of this, this character that you're mentioning who is teenage girl who gets left alive could she be another point of view character and almost this like ticking time bomb that you know she's going to confront the like because i want her to come out of nowhere uh, you know what i'm saying like almost this uh i don't know if it would be a do it what do they say like do a sex machina um but something where we kind of know like in the background this person might be coming like uh, what do you think christian is it better to to build toward it or just kind of like bring her out at the end yeah dylan i was thinking very much the same thing and i don't have an answer and that's why i would start writing yeah. so i I'm, I'm just going to offer you a couple of perspectives but i'm just repeating what you just said like so again if we were rolling with the merchant brother as one of the the tipping point balance point characters um as the book goes on and the print starts to get darker, one of the things he could be dealing with is this clan. And, and they, they just keep raiding sheep or whatever. Mm. And it could be pinpricks at first and growing and yet always off camera so that the reader can continue to dismiss it as just like, oh, it's just that that's only there so that we could have that scene yeah. about money in court. Mm. Um, so that would be one way to play it. But another way would be to, in effect, have a prisoner, a captive uh, from one of these horrible violent scenes. Mm -hmm. And I like a young woman, but it could be a young man. And, you know, hostages were a big part of medieval courts. You drag them to your court and you keep the family honest by keeping Eliza around. You don't openly mm -hmm. say, like, we can do horrible things to her if you guys twitch a way we don't like, but that is the clear message. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that would be fun if, if she then became a character who appeared to be passively accepting sort of Stockholm mm -hmm. syndrome. Mm -hmm. And yet, and again, this would take good writing. You start to drop little hints that she is doing shit of her own. Yeah, and there's something mm -hmm. interesting there there's because like a, she's essentially yeah. been pacifist the whole time and then gets her one moment of violence at the end, which is like the opposite of all the other characters. It's kind of interesting because she's like a prisoner. She's helpless. So she's like, 
Stockholm syndrome playing along, surviving, and then she gets her moment to like do something about it. And yeah, and it's almost you're playing with kind of like a Sansa type character there, right? Like that's what happens to Sansa at one point in Game of Thrones is she's being held by the Lannister. I don't know if this is spoiling something. Come on, it's, it's a fancy podcast and we're talking Game of Thrones. So like she's got that point where she's in over her head. She's basically being a hostage while the North uh, under Rob Stark is fighting against the Lannisters and you could do something like you could twist the expectations with a character like that based on what what happened what people know happens with Sansa I mean what if hostage girl is the active conversationalist pushing the prince down the garden path to his own destruction Mm. it could be taking them out from the inside. And what if, yeah, we could almost do, have her be like a mastermind here, right? Like getting captured and all of that was all part of her plan. It's like, like a lady revealed at the kind end. Of thing, just whispering in his ear the whole time, just trying to get him to do stuff. I kind of liked when you had brought up Christian, this like religious aspect of their, like we could bring in a religious character or a religious sect. Maybe they take this person in as like a refugee or something. And maybe they have these like pacifist, nonviolent teachings, but then, and then maybe the prince is involved with this religion somehow. And then you have this character like who's there, whether she's like waiting on him or is uh, whatever they, whatever a refugee does uh, and is able to talk to him. And it's kind of an interesting perspective to have, maybe. I'm throwing that out there. I'm, I'm about to be completely tangential. I'm not even on our book. But <laughs> in Iranian history, in Persia, uh, this is a little gut-wrenching. I don't know how far to go on the podcast. But uh, one of the dynasties uh, basically captured the entire male population of the, the ruling dynasty and killed them all, except one 12-year-old boy who they emasculated and turned into a sex slave. Oh my and God. Wow. 37 years of planning later, he killed them all. Wow. And again, I have, I have read his story several times. He ended up as a great con. He couldn't grow a beard. Uh, and his, his like great nephew became con after him. Mm. And the, mm. the point I'm trying to get to, because he couldn't have kids, uh, is every time I read that story in Persian history, I go like, Okay, Grimdark, I'll show you Grimdark. Yeah. yeah. 37 is... years as a male sex slave while you carefully plot the destruction of the entire order that overthrew your family. That's dark. Um, anyway, I'm possibly too graphic, but I, I always remember that story because when you say mastermind, my problem always with the mastermind is, for instance, uh, so a young noblewoman is going to let herself be captured. I immediately go like, no, she is. No, because the consequences could be horrific. <laughs> so yeah. like, no, it, that um, a young noblewoman who thinks she's a mastermind and completely screws up and gets captured. That's more fun. Um, mm. uh, and 
anyway, uh, it's a good idea though. And I think that. Hmm. I do I, like that. We could go there if, if we're ready to get, because I think there's something that's just both shocking, but also gripping about that as a, like another character in this whole cast of characters, right? And maybe the Crow Knight kills all these dudes except for one. This poor guy, you know, gets either we lift the whole story and say, you know, he becomes a sex slave or maybe he becomes something else. Who knows? But that's interesting because it's shocking and it's um, an inciting incident, but it also starts this character off on a whole journey to go along with our protagonist and antagonist that could all come out ahead at the end. Hmm. Well, I, can, I can tell you a way that it could all go really dark, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that the podcast is the right place. I sometimes have a very dark mind. Uh, <laughs> but well, I, I think I think we're in a spot now. You know, we we've really fleshed out a lot of this. Do we just need a way to? Do we need just like our final like our sell line, our pitch, so that we can shop this around and then let well, inspiration strike as we write? I think are, are we there yet? What do we need I to think, make any other decisions, Christian? Uh, I don't. You're you're asking me like I'm an expert. Uh, <laughs> You've this, written this a is, few books, I think, right, Christian? This is, 44, this is, I think you, you are an expert. <laughs> this is your game, but uh, as I said probably 15 minutes ago, like I would start writing at this point. Uh, I, I'd, I'd flesh it out, but we do need a shout line because okay. somewhere there's an editor who, or, or an agent, like I have an agent, but we're probably going to need a new agent for this. Um, <laughs> although I also have to say, like, as a self, we came up with this idea in 45 minutes on a podcast. Yeah. It's actually not the worst sell. And because you've recorded this, it could be fascinating for people to read the novel that eventuated, but like people listen to the pod. Anyway, and, and I am kind of tempted to write a short story based on yeah. the, the Crow Knight. Um, uh, it's all yours, I, Christian. <laughs> You're being attacked <laughs> by, by a violent beast over there, Christian. Yeah. Uh, we, we have violence problems right here in this house. <laughs> Christian did choose pacifism there when being attacked by a cat. So yep, uh, I did. I did because I love the cat and I don't want the cat to suffer. So I moved him. Anyway, uh, we need a shout line. And I think that's a good place to end. Yes. Um, so uh, when I write shout lines, I generally reference massively comprehensible pop culture. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Marvel movies, uh, Life of mm -hmm. Pi, so stuff that um, mm -hmm. editors and marketing people at a marketing meeting can immediately go, oh, I get that. It's going to be like Iron Man. Cool. Right. Mm. What if we um, picked something like The Princess Bride, which has come up a few times, and then we pick something that's like super like intense, you know, just like the. Well, right there, Grimdark Princess Bride. Is right. Not a bad <laughs> right. That's kind of that's pretty thinking. good. Like uh, Princess Bride meets Witcher meets First meets, Law <laughs> meets First Law. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it feels kind of Game of Thronesy, but I feel like writing a fantasy book and saying it's like Game of Thrones is like that doesn't even mean anything anymore. So uh, it's yeah. like yeah, you know, something we haven't talked about, and like this would be a very foundational thing for me mm. is like uh, your game 
has um, built-in assumptions because it uses like what I would call the D&D Euro white standard terms of like That's the fair. fake Middle Ages that never really happened. And I, and I call that D&D normal, like Dungeons yeah. and Dragons normal, right? right? But, you know, I brought up Persia uh, and Princess Bride is Dungeons and Dragons normal. It literally is. It's like yeah. right in the heart of Dungeons and Dragons normal. Um, but this doesn't have to be Euro Dungeons and Dragons normal. And now that we fleshed it out, it could be. Uh, and by the way, we have very little magic in this story. I noticed that's true. Like, it's true. Um, and we don't even let necessarily have a magic user. And I do like yeah. magic. So that mm. anyway, that's for another podcast. But mm. in the shout line, I'm not sure that like. Uh, Grimdark Princess Bride set in medieval Persia is mm. not a bad shout line. Or um, Aladdin meets uh, meets Grimdark Princess Bride uh, wouldn't necessarily be the uh, the the worst. Okay. Come on, guys! I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, I like we're, it. I like it. Something like, like you know. It's. I mean, I do like the idea of kind because, of, like you said, it is D and D normal of kind of transposing? Right, it could be a sultan, right, instead of a, a like what would that be the equivalent of like a, a king or, or something? Um, we don't need to do the typical medieval thing, and and it's a lot of people are kind of feeling bored of that time period, that non-existent time period. But yeah, uh, shoutline. I mean. Is it is Princess Bride like Grimdark Prince of Bride meets Aladdin or or something? I'm trying to think of other Persian stuff. Like, is that not? A, I think that's pretty good, right? I think I think we're in a very good spot, especially for a draft one of basically Grimdark Princess Bride set in medieval Persia. You know, that is a that is a compelling line especially when I you agree add that based on a 45 minute improv session on a podcast <laughs> yep <laughs> um veteran author and uh writing fighting star christian cameron <laughs> as well uh, as two bozos it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh on the front it's gonna be miles cameron in very big font and then it's gonna be like an ampersand and it's like uh, uh Charles oh, no. McLaughlin, you, you guys have your marketing all wrong you're, you're not getting, I, I have to tell you that you're in the generation that loves irony. So I think three bozos is the author line. <laughs> yeah. Three RR bozos. <laughs> even better if uh, I call a friend of mine and find out what the Islamic Persian for three bozos is. Ooh. It'll be a really cool sounding name. Now we're Probably. Talking. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think we've got the the bones here of a of a pretty interesting tale, actually, and the generator was more coherent than I was expecting it to be, which is also wonderful. And I put a I put a screenshot of night in our chat uh, <laughs> on Twitter, so just so I everyone really saw need, it. I, I really need to get this generator from you guys because the next time <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm stuck, like, um, although honestly. Have you guys played this with other authors? 
We've done it with Levi Jacobs, who is a Spiffbo finalist. So you're you're a second author that we've well, had it, it. before. It's just it was great. just me and Charles. Authors <laughs> need this. I, like, I, so I've I've said this before. I love running mm-hmm. role playing games. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. It's not really Dungeons. And, anyway, whatever. But one of the reasons I love it is because it makes you think this fast. Right. And here's what I'd say again from like a like a modern day you know marketing yourself as an author you know marketing hat here yeah, is no. what what better uh, way no. to to um to know you what better way to sell against all gods than to watch the writing process unfold and learn about you just as a creative mind and as an author and the way you approach writing I, I would say if anyone yeah. was entertained or impressed by this then they absolutely have to check out some of your work at this point you know to me that was the most fascinating thing getting to do it first with Levi and now with you is like we get to see some of the authors shine through and like our Dylan and I were like let's just like Christian talk as much as we can because we want him to add as much as he can to this so that whole (laughs) process to me is just as fascinating as any kind of random story that we generated which just happens to be also very promising as well but just to hear your process I want to see John Gwynn um uh Joe Abercrombie Let's see who else do I want. To we did have Joe on, but uh, I don't. I don't know if he'd he'd quite come on for friends creating fantasy. <laughs> yeah, we know Christian. We know you're up for anything uh, as silly as possible. But <laughs> yeah, I, I am. It's it's probably sad. Um, no, that's why we love you. The great thing about writing so fast is that I have the time to to do this. Uh, this was super good and. Uh, Charles, I really appreciate how you threw in a final plug for Against All Gods there. Of course. Because, you know, I, I, uh, June 23rd. I, I desperately need any publicity that I can get. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And well, really, we have a sequel coming for Artifact it. Space, right? That's what I was seeing on Twitter. Uh, say that again. Do we have a sequel coming for Artifact Space? I feel like. Let's say I have a verbal agreement with, uh, with Galans that we will, we will have a sequel. Um, it's, it's going to be a while because they want me to write the whole Against All Gods series. Okay. But then I'll, okay. I'll say uh, I've got two of those books in the can, so I only have to write one more. And then I'll write Deep Black. Love okay. Yeah, because we know it was kind of up for when we had you on to talk about RFX Space. We know it was kind of unsure, even though RFX Space was bringing in like all these five-star ratings and everyone was raving yeah. about it. And it's done real really well. And I think that uh, I'm probably saying something that'll get me in trouble at Galantz, but I think Galantz was trying to tell me that I am a fantasy author and they want me to <laughs> mm. uh, keep doing my job as a fantasy author and that my life as a science fiction author is a part-time job at McDonald's on Thursday afternoons. <laughs> and they're not like that. That's they're not moonlighting. I, I'm positive someone will call me or large men in, in dark uniforms will appear at my door now and say, uh, oh, they're not they're listening not this listening. deep into our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at the they're tail end. They didn't make it this far, Christian. <laughs> That's right. Who's, who's listening? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> maybe some publisher's ears might perk up at this, but no, I doubt it. We're, we're, you're safe. Um, but yeah, if you've made it to the end of this, if you've been entertained against all gods available, June 23rd, don't miss it. 
And, you know, like I said, there's 43 other books you can also check out by uh, Christian Cameron, written as Miles Cameron. So be sure to check that out and go to his Twitter and watch Writing Fighting. Make sure you follow him so you get those videos yeah. there. At Fokion1, P-H-O-K-I-O-N-1, right? I get that. I, I did it off the top of my head, but I think I got it. <laughs> I love you guys. You actually know who I am. <laughs> of course we're big fans and we you know we can't wait to read against all gods i'm sure we'll um have a lot to say about that in the coming weeks once that book gets released so um uh, until then we're gonna be you know doing some treatments of the crow nights um maybe come up with a little rendering so we can get the film rights going uh you will get the whole franchise kicked off I, i'm yeah. i I already see Rutger Howard in the lead role, but unfortunately, I think he needs to be 20 years younger. <laughs> they can DH him. They've got the technology now, Christian. Yeah. I mean, what was that movie with? Uh, it was like with De Niro, right? Uh, <laughs> the Irishman? Yes, exactly. Uh, I, we have to get Lady Hawk into our shout line now that I think of it. Lady Hawk? Lady Hawk? Haven't you guys seen Lady Hawk? Wow, you no, are no, so I don't young. Think so. I... <laughs> You're so young. So it's Rutger Hauer and, and, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, and it's Lady Michelle Hawk. Pfeiffer's first movie. Oh, okay. 1985 fantasy slash adventure film. Not to be confused with the New Zealand singer-songwriter Lady Hawk. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Which is another option on Wikipedia here. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Charles, I know you were trying to end the podcast, but you guys really have to see Lady Hawk because it is uh, it is unbelievably influential on the world of fantasy, even though only about really? a quarter of people have actually seen it. It's got an all-star cast here, so we'll have to check it out. Good reviews, too, I think. Yeah, it's really a very uh, good movie. Never mind. That very... was Lady Hawk's self-titled album I was looking at, but that got good reviews, <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Christian, we really appreciate you, you know, coming in here doing this crazy idea and uh you really elevated it into something that was, you know, a lot of fun. So thank you so much for all your time and all your energy and all your expertise today. We greatly appreciate it. Always a pleasure having you on. Always a pleasure being on, and uh, I also try and keep the 80s alive for you guys. <laughs> we appreciate that. They're alive and well. <laughs> we appreciate that. So now we have a new album to listen to, a new movie to watch. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. The Crow Night coming soon, maybe. Who knows? You never say never. But until then, we've got Christian Cameron with us. Go follow him on Twitter, Fokion1. And then check out ChristianCameronAuthor.com, Against All Gods, available June 23rd. And this has been the FTF Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, Christian. It was a pleasure. Dylan, a pleasure as always. Thank you all so, so much for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends. Yeah, that was fun. Why do I stop? <laughs>